0: Yeah, clap it up for Matt. That was a a long passage. Thanks, Matt, for reading that. A little bit of family news before we get into uh, one of my favorite passages in the scripture this morning. Uh, First, family news. uh, It's Memorial Day weekend, and particularly in our area, in our body, uh, many folks uh, serve in the armed services. And so just thank you so much. Uh, Thank you as we remember those who have given their life. Uh, that we would have freedom. Thank you uh, for serving us. We uh, particularly have a lot of medical doctors uh, in the body. So thank you if you're online watching as well. Thank you for uh, your service. Second beast of family news is masks. Uh, We'll continue wearing masks in worship, uh, indoors. A couple reasons for that. Uh, And you might say, well, but I'm vaccinated. Great. I'm vaccinated too. And uh, so glad. And, and everyone who's singing or leading from up front uh, is vaccinated as well. What we're trying to do is create the most conducive space for everyone to come and worship on a Sunday morning. Uh, so that means loving our neighbors well, both in the body and those who are not a part of the Well Community Church yet by creating an environment where everyone would want to come to worship so uh, we'll wear masks and worship our kids will wear masks in uh, student ministry uh, so that we can create a safe environment and a place where uh, folks who are not ready uh, to come back if we do not wear masks uh, that are a part of the body can come and worship and hear the gospel and those who are not a part of the church can also come and enjoy and will be more willing to uh, come and worship with us so Uh, We'll be wearing masks uh, and grateful to be doing that with you, to serve each other and to worship our Lord together with as many uh, that will come. Uh, With that, please come. Uh, Please come back to worship. Uh, It is a a joy to be with you this morning and uh, those who have come. Many have left uh, truthfully in tears uh, because God has met them as it is so soul refreshing to worship our God together. We're made for this. Uh, So come uh, to worship with us. Uh, this coming Sunday, uh, we will worship at nine thirty and eleven fifteen uh, throughout the summer. Last uh, piece of family news is uh, number three: uh, our Say Yes initiative. Uh, last Sunday was Say Yes Sunday, when we uh, gave our upfront cash and made commitments for the year from June to June of giving above and beyond for one year uh, to the work of God here at the Well that we might then be able to say yes to the next permanent uh, worship space and ministry uh, location that the Lord has for us in a permanent way here in Silver Spring. Uh, And God is already, man, just pouring out a ton of cash and commitment. So just praise God. And I'm not going to tell you what those numbers are yet, uh, because on June 13th, uh, we'll all gather for a celebration and share all those numbers, how many folks have given and what was given. It's, It's a real blast. So Uh, If you have not yet uh, gone online and made your year-long commitment of what you'll give from June to June uh, that we might say yes to the next permanent space uh, that God has for us here in the area, would you do so? Just hop online on our our main homepage and you can hit uh, the Say Yes link there and make your commitment of what you will give uh, from June to June. A lot of family news there. Let me pray for us as we get into John chapter 4 together. Father, thank you so much for your son. And in this passage, in this bit of history, we get a picture of your mind and your heart, Father, as your son stepped onto your earth and ran right towards those that everyone else was running away from. And God, we are so grateful because in his running towards those that everyone is running away from, he ran towards us. And he rescued us, he made us sons and daughters, that we might then be compelled to run towards others with the good news of Jesus and who he is and what he's done. So God, draw us into your history, into your story this morning in a way that we would see your grace so profoundly and then be radically transformed in the way we live a lot like Jesus here at the well. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, because I'm the pastor of The Well, uh, people will often ask me, why are we called The Well Community Church? Why is that our name? And my mind always jumps back to that time uh, around the dining room table years and years ago when we planted the church. And, and originally we had called the church Community Rising And I'm so glad we did not keep that as our name. It sounded kind of like an insurrection. Uh, But what we meant by that was we are going to plant the gospel here in the Silver Spring area. And he would rise up a new community of Jesus followers together. And then when that occurred, we didn't know we were going to change the name. Uh, Then we would sit around we would decide, what is the Lord calling us to be called? And so that's what we were doing around the dining room table there, and it was a small leadership team. We were prayerfully considering, Lord, what do you have for us as a name? And, and we just, you know, got out the whiteboard. We're writing name after name after name, uh, and the well popped up, and, and in it we were praying through it. And, and then we decided, man, that's our name. Uh, we were about 40-some people. We decided to live uh, in the structures of our church at that point. We started beginning worshiping in Sunday morning. Uh, we launched out community groups and, and, and Thrive classes. And, and here we are, the well, years later. And why do we call ourselves the well? First and foremost, because Jesus is living water. And, and you can come not to this place, but this people, our church, the well community church, and, and find living water in Christ. Uh, second reason was a well is a place of community. Uh, that people gather around the well. People come to the well to, to, to gather around and, and enjoy life with one another. And, but this isn't a community where we uh, huddle together and stare at each other's navels, but uh, we see the grace of God overflow that we would be an outward-facing community and we would bring the, the grace of God that has flown into us to, to then throw th- through us into the lives of others in the surrounding area. That when the well flourishes, everyone and everything around us flourishes as we demonstrate and declare the good news of the gospel. So that's why we call ourselves the well. And here around the well, uh, that's our new series for the next five weeks, we'll be looking at passages that that capture, man, who are we? What are we about? Why do we live this way where Jesus is living water, where we link arms in community and transparent, loving community together? And we see an overflow of his grace into the lives and the place around us. And then we thought, well, it's pretty cool, too, that this is called Silver Spring. You know, that there's that water theme of the place in which God has given us uh, to minister the gospel. The well. If there is any passage that captures it more clearly than this one, I do not know it. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, most clearly captures who we want to live like, what we want to be about, what we want to kind of shape the way the well lives. It is one of my favorite stories, history in the scriptures. So what we'll do, we'll just walk through the story. It's a great one, and then I'll just give you a quick tool at the end that I've used in my life and many of us have used uh, that it would help us and guide us to live a lot like Christ does in this passage. All right, so the story, and then a quick tool at the very end. The story begins in John chapter 4. What matters most here is the context that John chapter 4 comes after John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, we have the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's kind of like the, the, the tip of the top. He, he is the cream of the crop. He's the insider, He's the moral, the religious, the righteous, the kind of the the high standing in society, religious society and all of their culture. Right. Uh, He's educated. He's smart. He's moral. And then uh, Jesus looks at him. He says, you've got to be born again in John chapter three, 16. Right. A verse we all know, probably Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And and even you, Nicodemus, uh, you need grace. But then, here's what we'll see, and even you, Samaritan woman, you are not out of the reach of grace. Nicodemus, you need this grace that you don't think you need. And Samaritan woman, you are extended this grace that you never think you'll get the insider and the outsider, that that all are welcome, The, the moral and the immoral, the high and the low, the one that everyone loves and wants to run towards, and the one that everyone runs away from, this grace is needed and this grace is extended even to you. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and uh, John chapter 4, verse 1, Now Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. You know, the disciples write this gospel, and I, I think they kind of throw that in there, and they're like, we were baptizing a ton. Jesus wasn't even doing it. We were getting to do it. It was so fun. I love the little details, right? And it says this is not just made up. It, John is actually just writing what occurred. He says, so we were baptizing a ton of people. Jesus heard about it. And he is moving from Judea, verse three. Uh, and, and we're going to travel all together up into Galilee in the north. Uh, Jesus is going to move from the south to the north, walking some 70 miles. The, uh, and notice what the text says in verse four and he had to pass through Samaria. And Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, Jesus created the path that he's walking on. Jesus made all things. He is before all things. He is the eternal God. He doesn't have to do anything. (laughs) He chooses to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's the creator of the world, the king himself. But he is compelled to pass through Samaria. See, at the time, any Jew who is going from Judea up to Galilee, they instead would go north just a bit, then they would hang a left. And they would go east, and then they would go even across the Jordan. Then they would go north, then they would come back up into Galilee. Why? Because they did not want to go through Samaria. They hated these people. They prayed against these people. They said, Lord, don't forgive the Samaritans. They despised these people. They thought of them and pejoratively called them half-breeds. They they knew that they had intermarried with the Canaanites, those outside of God's family. And they were these racial half-breeds. And they uh, 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 oppressed them and subjected them and treated them poorly because of this uh, maligning way they viewed them. And Jesus says he has to pass through there (laughs) because he is very, he is compelled by his very nature to go where others did not go. Praise God because he went towards us. (laughs) Uh, See, uh, it's in his very nature. In John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus is praying, talking to his father right before his crucifixion. And he says, God, Father, as you sent me, Jesus, so I am sending them the church. Other places he says, as you've sent me, so we send the Spirit. Right In the very nature, the very heart of God is this movement, this sending towards those who don't yet know Him. In the very nature of God is this compulsion to run towards those who don't yet know Him, don't yet have a relationship with Him. He says, I had to go through Samaria. It's who I am. It's the very story of the Scriptures from start to finish. In the very beginning, God says, I've created all this. Why? That my glory might go out and all kinds of people might worship me. And then in Revelation chapter 7, we see all tribes and tongues and nation, all kinds of people, all sorts of people, even republicans. And Democrats are worshiping him at the throne. Why? Because he planned it here. He executed it over time. He is a God who is writing a story of moving towards all kinds of people. It's in his very nature. It is the heart of his story. It's the nature of the church. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, We were a people who had no mercy, and then we were given mercy. We were outsiders. We were made insiders. Why? That we might declare the excellencies of our God. That we might be a people who shout about, who demonstrate, who declare the good news of who our God is, what he has done. It's it the nature of God to run towards the loss. It's the story of the scriptures to move towards the loss. It's the very heart of the church to move towards the loss. From the beginning to the end of discipleship, it's all about a movement towards the loss. Uh, Jesus shows up in Matthew chapter 4:19. He says, "Come, follow me, and I will make you what? A fisher of men. When you follow me, you're going to fish for men. When you follow after me, you're going to go where I'm going. You're going to follow right behind. And where am I always going? I'm always going towards people who are lost, whether it's a Pharisee, the, the, the high and mighty, or the low and lost. And then at the end of discipleship, Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, hey, now I'm going to send you in all authority to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to obey everything I, Jesus, have commanded you. It's the the very beginning of his discipleship of his early followers to all the way to the end. He says, go out and tell everybody. (laughs) Jesus is compelled to go through Samaria, Because in Samaria is this Samaritan woman. It's in its very nature. It's the heart of the church. It's the story. The scriptures. It's discipleship from beginning to end. And and he knows when he walks through this place, he's going to meet this woman. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Every barrier being crossed. Every cultural wall being torn down. He says, I would love a drink. Uh, Would you interact with me? Would would you serve me? You know he's doing this intentionally because the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. And he says, would you interact with me? Would you bless me in this way? And she says, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We have no dealings with each other ethnically. And he says, let's forget about all that and relate. Uh, But but, but you're a man, and I'm a woman, and men and women, and particularly women with five husbands and one that she's with now, do not talk to each other in public. It would look bad for you to talk with me. He says, I want to sit down. I'm tired. Can we talk and hang out? But me, I'm so immoral, and you are this moral teacher. He says, I want to be with you. Would you get me a drink? She says, don't you know that's why I came at the sixth hour, noon, the middle of the day, the heat of the day, because I didn't want to see anybody here. She came at the sixth hour, says verse 6, noon, the middle of the day. No one draws water in the middle of the day, the heat of the day. Everyone comes early in the morning, and and that's when uh, all these others would come and gather water. And she says, I do not want to be there. My shame is too much to bear. I don't want to interact with anybody. So she shows up in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, when she thinks no one else is going to be there. And Jesus says, I'm going to be there right then in the middle of that day to meet you in the middle of your shame, because I want you to know I am not avoiding you. I love you and want you to know the good news, Jesus says. And he meets her in the midst of her shame, not avoiding her. Man, do you think God is trying to avoid you? You know how we know that, that we think God is trying to avoid us? Because we share, we share all this stuff about our lives, but we hold back, right? That that 1%, 2%, we say, he or she can't know that. They're a part of the church. They can't know how dirty, how shameful, how sinful that piece of my life is. And we think he feels the same way about us. That if he knew, he would certainly uh, avoid the situation and come where nowhere near to me. If, if, the, if the Lord put his face on me now, it would not be one of beckoning and inviting and desiring. Instead, he would say, get away from me. Our God is not avoiding us. He's running closer to us even in the middle of our most sinful and shameful places. It's in such a way that Aren't you compelled then to, to move towards others in that same kind of way? That this God who, who, who did not take the a roundabout way but had to go through right to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your friend. Uh, he came that way to you. Uh, don't we see we are just surrounded by people who are lonely, without life, trying to figure out life on their own but we're avoiding the hard conversations. We're not moving towards those who are unlike us. man. If they think that or they believe that, I am headed this way. Or I know how he or she votes, and I want no part of that kind of conversation. Or or, or I know what they've said about her or him in the office. I don't want any part of him. And our God runs right towards us that we might be rescued and be transformed. He does not avoid you. He loves you. And Jesus is now going to take the conversation into an awkward place. It's a really uh, he he says, you know, hey, I would like something to drink. Right. He's going not just a a physical proximity, but now he's going deeper in relational proximity. And any time you go deeper in relational proximity, it starts to get awkward. When your neighbor goes from being the guy who drives a Civic to then uh, the guy who's sitting on your porch talking about his life or, or, or the gal next door uh, or in the cubby next door goes from the one who likes to drink her coffee black to, to now the one that's sitting at your desk sharing about their life and you're asking questions. Whenever you go from like this level of relationship of, of facts and just knowing stuff about each other to then emotions and, and values and all, it's just awkward. And Jesus says, I know I've got to get into these awkward places because it's the deeper stuff where salvation has to come. It's the stuff behind the curtain that needs to be revealed in order to be embraced. You must be known before you are fully loved. He says, give me a drink. She's like, you know, we can't. We can't talk to each other. There's all these barriers. And Jesus says, yeah, I want to go right through the barriers because I love you that deeply. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus has an intention to the conversation here. (laughs) He's he's thinking, I'm going to start this conversation and then we're going to start to talk about real things. And now he's got this kind of... uh, He's, he's got a one hand up on us. He is the living God who knows all things, right? Like, so he, he knows where he's going to take this. But, but we have this same kind of uh, lead line, right? Hey, give me a drink. Uh, you know, here's my lead line. Yeah, I'm a pastor. And they're like, you're a pastor? Yes, I, yes, I am. And, but you've got that same kind of lead line, right? Which is, I just went to church this Sunday. You, you did what? Right? It starts to get awkward. You're sharing a bit of who you are, and then you may ask some questions, and they'll share a bit of who they are, and, and it gets a little more awkward. It's this middle school dance sort of situation, right? The middle school dance. Middle school dance. You got all the boys over on this side over here. They're trying to look really cool. And, and all the girls are way over here on this side. And they're just talking, saying, I wonder if anyone's ever going to ask me to dance. And, and then one of the boys has to say, I'm going to do it, right? Like step across the room and, and get awkward and, and go a bit deeper. It's kind of what happens every time you meet someone now in COVID, right? Which is, oh, man, I wonder how they interact. Is it the elbow bump? You know, hey, good to see you. Or is it hey, you stand way back here. Good to see you. And you're like, breathing this way. You know, like how do you interact? How do you go deeper? It's always awkward to go from this level to that level to that level. And Jesus says, I have an intention to go from this level of all these physical things of drinking some water down to the deeper, deeper things. Verse 11, the woman said to her, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep and where do you get this living water anyway that you're talking about? Are are you greater than our father Jacob? And and Jesus has got to be smiling right behind his mask. He's like, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> Are you greater? Everyone who drinks of this water, they're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. he starts talking about this water that he's offering her, this water he has intentionally moved towards her to give and to bring. And she just says it straight up. uh, Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty or have to come draw water here any longer. You see her reasoning? Man, I really want this water. What? I'm physically thirsty. Like, that would be great if I didn't have to, but what would be awesome is if I never had to come to this well again and risk seeing goons like you here. When I'm trying to be hidden in my shame, when I'm trying to hold back all this stuff that I don't want anybody to see, anybody to hear about, but I know everybody in the town back there knows all about it still, but that's why it's so shameful. So I come out here when it's hot and no one's around and And man, I would love that water you're talking about because I don't want to thirst anymore. And I definitely do not want to come to this well anymore. And she's starting to feel that deeper thirst, right? And Jesus says to her, verse 16, this is terrible evangelism, by the way. Go call your husband and come here. (laughs) He says, let's go behind the curtain now. Let's go a bit deeper. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying you have no husband. For you have five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> She's like, Oh, man, you know me. Jesus says, I know all about you, and I love you so deeply. I know all about you, and I didn't run around the outside route. I went right through the heart of Sicker so that I could see you here in Samaria. I know all about you, and I want to embrace you. I know that you are trying to find living water, purpose, and peace, and life, and security in broken cisterns. You're hunting all over in these other places for what you'll never find there. You'll only find it in me, Jesus says. And I know you've had relationship after relationship after relationship, hoping that the validation will come or the security will come or or the purpose in your life will come, and it never does. And I know, I know you've tried this job and you've tried to get to that level of this job because you thought if you could just get there, then you could say to your dad, I made it. I know you're hiding. And I know the water is running out in a broken cistern. I know we all are. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13 puts it this way For my people have committed two evils. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You've forsaken the source of life, a relationship with the living God, a relationship you could never earn, but you're welcomed in by the grace of the Son, Jesus Christ. And You've forsaken the source of relationship in which you were made for, and you've said instead, I'll find it in my job, I'll find it in my bank account, I'll find it in my kids, I'll find it in this relationship or that immorality, I will find it there. And like a cistern, you're broken and you have become polluted or or the water is dripping out. I used to think cisterns were these little bowls, these clay kind of bowls, and you fill them up with water and there's cracks in them. Oh, bummer, man, we lost some water. No, a cistern is the life source of a city. A cistern is this huge reservoir of water dug under a city. You enter a cistern by walking down steps and you look around in this vast walls and this huge cistern that's under the city. Because if a city is attacked, they need water to survive. But if there's cracks in these cisterns or if the enemy pollutes the cisterns, that city, everyone in it is Dead. And Jesus says, this is who you are when you search for life in any other place than me. You are a broken cistern, and you will never find the living water that leads to life. Langston Hughes writes this really fantastic, he's one of my favorite poets in the Harlem Renaissance. He writes this fantastic poem, The Parisian Beggar Woman. Parisian just means woman from Paris, right? Parisian Beggar Woman. Once you were young... Now hunched in the cold, nobody cares that you are old. Once you were beautiful, now in the street. No one remembers your lips were sweet. Oh, withered old woman of rue Fontaine, nobody but death will kiss you again. You kept coming back to this source because it offered just enough satisfaction to keep you coming back. The job, every promotion you got, every raise you got, just kept, ah, just, yeah, man, I feel a bit better. This relationship, that relationship, this time uh, you were on the Internet late at night. It was just really fun. And then you just, every time, a little bit of offering of life until your last kiss is death. Broken cisterns, and Jesus reveals the bad news and the conversation that he would just pour out on her now just amazing good news. She says, Man, I, well, she says to him, I see your prophet, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm more than you thought I was, Jesus said, <laughs> and I offer more than you thought I'd give. And she says, well, let's change the subject, verse 21, uh, 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. She's like, yeah, let's leave that whole husband thing for a second, right? Like, uh, where are we supposed to worship Jesus? And maybe she's asking an honest question. I don't know. You know, she's got this guy who's giving you all these questions, answers. And, and so she starts to share. And Jesus, uh, even in His kindness and His humility, He, he answers her questions. With, they're at this theological moment when, when it's not going to matter this mountain or that mountain or Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim or wherever you worship. He says, the Lord is doing something massive uh, to bring the Spirit in a new way. And, and the Messiah is coming. And she says, the woman said to Him, verse 25, I know Messiah is coming, He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The one you are looking for, you are looking at. (laughs) Uh, The one you are waiting for, you are talking to. Uh, The the weary traveler who, who sits at this well asking you for water is the eternal God and the bringer of salvation. And she must have been Oh, he's more than a prophet. He's the one we're waiting for. Just as the disciples come back, they break the moment, verse 27. Really, all they're doing is screwing things up in this whole passage. And we'll get a little bit to them here in a second. And uh, they say, oh, man, we're not going to ask about this weird interaction that's going on here. And, And the woman left her water jar, maybe her most valuable possession of bringing life back and forth to the well and went away into the town and get, listen to what she says come see a man who told me all that i ever did it's repeated again in the town verse 39 of the town believed the woman's testimony he told me all that i ever did she runs through the streets saying there's a man who told me all i ever did and they're like we know what you did <laughs> and this is only good news if it's covered in the grace of god She runs to the streets and shouts on the rooftop, he knows all about me. It's only good news if it's not about what she has done and how sinful she is, but about who he is and what he did to rescue her, to embrace her, to say, you are forgiven, my son, my daughter. She is embraced, and it is joyous news now to look at her broken life, her shame, her sin, and say, He embraces me. He forgives me. I found in Him what I found in no other thing or any relationship or any man or anything. I found what I've been looking for, living water. It is the very love of Jesus that compels her to go into the city and reap a mighty harvest that the disciples miss out on. She goes just simply saying, he rescued me in my shame and my brokenness where I was finding life everywhere else. He gave it to me. And notice the townspeople, they say, they invite Jesus to stay with them. All we're doing is introducing people to our Savior, and they say, and sit with him and talk with him for two days. It's no longer because of what you said, woman, that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It's what compels us. There's other great reasons too. There's other great reasons too. Uh, When the disciples came back in the middle of this interaction, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful. It's ripe. It's right there. I'll tell you, the COVID harvest right now is plentiful. It's ripe. It's right there. People's foundations have been shaken. People are clinging to their ideologies for salvation, and it's not working. Everything people have built their lives on is shaking, and they're crying out or clinging to other sources of living water, broken cisterns. And and Jesus says, you'll only find it in me, and, and you and I, would we not be like the disciples and miss a mighty harvest over the coming months? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends are dying and lonely without Christ. And you are sovereignly placed where you are in this time with the good news of the gospel because they might hear about this Jesus who rescued you and who rescued me. A second really good reason is that we're not responsible for the results. Uh, when Jesus is explaining the harvest is plentiful, he says, this is my father's work and I'll do it. It is is, uh, the most important work to do, he says, to bring this good news of the gospel to people like her and people like him and everyone. And it's also uh, his work to do. Anytime I share good news about who Jesus is, I walk away and say, man, that stunk. I really blew that one. It is the Lord's work to rescue, not yours, not mine. And then lastly, man, what a joy in the journey. What a joy in the journey when you get to talk to people you love about people, the person you love, Jesus. When the people you love and this Savior you love intersect, you get to have those kinds of conversations about how he stepped into your life and rescued you. And you get to share that, that good news with them who you love, man. What a joy! the the most joyful moment this past year. I've been praying for my friend for five years. We had conversation after conversation of just, man, what does he believe? What do I believe? Just and just like, hey, what sports do you like? What what you know? Just living life together. Fall, fell in love with the guy, and then over time, he got to share with him about the Savior that I love, and and then uh, just a few months ago, I just I'm um, talking with him on the porch. We're sitting out there having a cigar around the fire pit together, and, and he's just talking about the church, how much he loves the church, and I just said, hey, what do you believe about Jesus? And he looked right at me, he said, Matt, I believe he's my savior. And I just went, yeah! I mean, it's so fun. What a joy. And then times even when you tank, right? Like when the guy says, man, none of that makes sense. What am I talking to him about it? It's just all part of the joy of the journey. We're not responsible for the results. The harvest is plentiful, and our Savior has saved us. Don't you want people to know him? There's just this simple tool here that I've used to shape my life to live a lot like Jesus in this area of moving towards the loss. It's the to whom Out tool. It's on, it's on the resource page. Uh, we've emailed it out to you. You can find it on our uh, webpage under media and resources. First is simply this. Look at the different pools you're in. God sovereignly placed you there. Who are the neighbors, the coworkers, the friends, just people there that you can list a name specifically and decide, I'm not going to go around this relationship anymore. I'm going to go right through it and right into it and, and just pray for this person like crazy. And begin to see the Lord at work in their life. And then go deeper, right? Increase your physical proximity and your relational proximity. Intentionally just saying, how do I get deeper in relationship with this person? Then, Then just start asking questions. We don't have the whole Jesus thing going where we can say, I know this about you, right? But we can hear a story. Everyone's favorite topic of conversation is themselves. So ask questions, right? It's your favorite conversation. It's their favorite. Just ask questions and listen to their story and look for broken cisterns where the good news of Jesus comes in. When you see they're slaying themselves at work and say, I know a Savior who validates you. When they're uh, living in destructive relationships and say, I know one who will never treat you like that. And you can get behind the curtain a little bit with people by sharing your own broken story and how the Savior has met you. And then shedding light on the story of our Savior and what he's done. Because what a mighty Savior that we have. What a mighty Savior we have. A couple weeks later uh, at this feast and Jesus stands before everyone there and and there's a whole bunch of legalists there. You know, uh, the Samaritan was full of licentiousness or sin and, and here Jesus stands up and it's the last day of the feast, and he looks out to everyone like I look out to you today, and he says this. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. See, we have this living water that flows into us and overflows out of us in a relationship with Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit bringing us to life. Why do we have it? Because our Savior became thirsty that we might be drink deep of his life. He steps into the Samaritan story and says, I thirst to interact with her and and engage with her. And then he steps up onto a cross in John chapter 19 and he says, I thirst. And and he's crucified in our place for all of our shame, for all of our sin, for our legalism or our licentiousness. And, And he hangs on the cross and in his thirst he dies in our place. His body is broken, his blood is spilled. So this morning, if you've not yet trusted in him, if you've not embraced him, would this morning, you would you just come to him knowing that he's not avoiding you till you make your life better? But would you trust in Christ? And this morning, if you're a believer, would you remember again the taste of your salvation, the satisfaction of your salvation, what your Savior has done for you? that you might be compelled by His love not to hold that in, but to let His grace that is poured out on you overflow into the lives of those around you. And thank Him and praise Him, but then also get in your mind one of those neighbors, coworkers, a friend, a family member, and get them right in your mind. Start praying for them now, even now, that they might know what a mighty Savior that you know by His grace Savior, who thirsted, whose body was broken, his blood was spilled, and then resurrected to newness of life, that you and I would never be alone. Not this last year, not this year to come, not on your birthday, never alone. Because He loves you that much. So rejoice this morning of who our God is and what He's done to make you His daughter, to make you His son by grace. It's taken in.